Good afternoon and welcome to this legislative overview here on KGFX. I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra. Visiting with the District 24 legislators, Representatives Mike Wisegram and Will Mortensen and Senator Jim Melhoff. The first week of the legislative session in South Dakota got going last week. A lot of organization and information exchange going on last week. Mike, let's start with you. As far as uh, your first week last week, a little bit about uh, some things you saw, some reactions, and what do you see uh, going ahead for you for this session? Thanks, Jody. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, the first week was very informational uh, and beneficial. I thought the governor's state of the state was very optimistic and she laid out some new programs to enhance her vision of South Dakota, and many of which uh, us uh, share those visions. The uh, state of the judiciary, very thoughtful uh, conversations and our <clears throat> presentation, as well as the state of the tribe. So, yeah, the first week was uh, very good, busy. Uh, I serve on House Commerce and Energy Committee health and human services, and retirement laws. And uh, this year, uh, being committee chair of House Commerce, it's it's busier for me. I just need to be more organized and uh, uh, give a little bit more direction to those that are uh, just starting to serve in the House. So it was a good week. I enjoyed it and looking forward to next week. Excellent. So, Will, let's uh, talk about your first week uh, not your first term in the House, much like Mike, you're on your second term, but also now House Majority Leader, which adds to your plate and, and things going on. Just kind of talk about the first week, some of the organization and things uh, laying the groundwork to get us going. You bet. Uh, thanks for having us, Jody. First off, uh, you do a nice job, not just in this interview, but in general, uh, keeping an eye on the legislature on behalf of everybody in central South Dakota. And, uh, and so we, we really do appreciate your contribution on it. I think we're off to a good start. I mean, anybody who watched Congress in the first week of the year and kind of rolled their eyes that it took them 15 ballots and one whole week to get a speaker elected. Um, anybody who was a little bit disheartened by that should take heart in that South Dakota still works. It took us one vote in about 15 minutes to do the same thing. And uh, so we got off and running. I'm, I'm optimistic. You know, we've got 28 new members in our caucus and I think 30 or 31 new members overall in the House of Representatives. That's like 40 percent. And so a lot of it in the early goings is um, is making sure that everybody understands the processes and feels comfortable Um you know, with something as complicated as the appropriations process is, we're trying to take a lot of time and do some pretty intentional mentorship in the House um, because, you know, I've told these new members that from the beginning we're going to count on them to lead on certain issues and to carry bills that have a lot of substance, the kind of things that 10 or 15 years ago before term limits, maybe you wouldn't do until your second, third, fourth terms. We're going to be counting on folks doing their second, third, fourth weeks in the job. And so uh, steep learning curve to have a, a good, highly functioning legislature. But again, I think that South Dakota should be proud that you've got a legislature that's still able to come together and, and get the job done and kind of doesn't get stuck in the, the games and the politics. And uh, through your position as House uh, Majority Leader, you'll be working closely with uh, Hugh Bartles, Watertown, who mm-hmm. was uh, chosen as speaker. Uh, just uh, for those who may not be familiar with kind of the the inner workings in the legislature, what is the relationship between the speaker and the House Majority Leader? What sort of 
things uh, do you guys uh, collaborate on? Yeah, you bet. I mean, it's a really good question. So the speaker is the administrative leader of the House writ large, the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, the speaker is um, the, the person who wields the gavel and, and oversees floor sessions, but then, you know, runs all the LRC staff um, and, and the secretaries and, and, and whatever. He's the oversees that area. But again, it, it's a distinction where the majority leader, my job is that I work for the 63 Republicans and that's who elected me to this job. And so mine is one where I'll be advocating on behalf of the caucus's position publicly, Jody, to you and others. But then also when we're doing negotiations with the Senate and the governor and the Democrats. And so I would say that the job of a majority leader is maybe a little bit more political and the job of the speaker is a little bit more administrative. And I just got to say, Hugh Bartles is really the right guy for that job. I mean, he's a longtime banker. He was a school board uh, member and president up in Watertown, and he's very on the merits. He's not a flash-in-the-pan guy. He's not somebody you're going to see out doing battle on the Internet against anybody. He's there to get the job done. He's really old-school South Dakota and, and the kind of classic conservative I thought we needed in the House. So I'm glad to have him in there. I'm looking forward to partnering with him. Um, and one thing about it, he's about six months away from being the oldest speaker in state history. And uh, as you reported, I'm the youngest majority leader. And so we are a good check and balance on one another. Uh, and, and, you know, when I'm saying go, he's there to say, whoa, and vice versa. I did have a chance uh, in my Watertown reporting days work to work with you there. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, very familiar, great leader. He'll do a great job. Senator uh, Jim Melhoff is uh, with us as well. Jim, in your first term at the South Dakota legislature, and you apparently are all about committee activity. <laughs> Looking at your membership, you got quite a list. So how'd your first week, some of the nitty gritty and things you got uh, to uh, start thinking about? Well, thanks, Jody. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you this uh, morning and to talk about the kickoff of the legislative session. Uh, for me, there's a lot of, uh, there's a bit of a learning curve. I have been involved in a process on the, on the other side of the table for for many years, but it's uh, it's different being being a member of the legislature. So so much of uh, what I was, I mean, we organized the Senate. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time uh, feeling a little bit uneasy, wondering if I'm where I should be, when I should be there, and doing what I should be doing. I'm fairly certain you were not alone in that, though, so t- yeah. take comfort in that. Yes, I suspect that's the case. And, Between other and, legislators, lobbyists, and the like, you, there was, you weren't the only one. Yeah, and I would imagine I probably, you know, have a have a couple links on, on the new members who, who have not been part of the process in the past. So I think it's just a matter of gaining more confidence and getting into more routine before that feeling kind of and it goes away. I, d- I didn't find myself in a situation where the wheels came off <laughs> at any time during the first week. So that was that was a positive. I'd call that a win. I would agree. Thank you. <laughs> Most definitely. So we'll celebrate that. Yes, definitely. So as far as committee assignments, I, I did draw quite a bit. I think senators generally draw more committee assignments than uh, members of the House because there's half as many of us. And uh, so I, I drew a uh, Judiciary, ag and natural resources, local governments, and uh, retirement laws, and I was also assigned a rules review in the in the interim, which won't come into play too much, I don't believe, during the session. And we've been getting busy already. 
Uh, the Judiciary Committee has a pretty good stack of bills already assigned to us, and we went to work last Thursday. We heard a, a presentation update from the Department of Corrections, and uh, we took up a number of bills, some of them from the uh, Juvenile uh, Justice Summer Study, uh, a cleanup bill from the uh, Department of Corrections, and then also another bill uh, that addressed uh, the reporting requirements to GOAC. And we we have a busy schedule coming up. So tomorrow morning we're going to hit the ground running and we'll hear from the Education Association and uh, the Sheriff's Association, and we also have more bills coming up. Well, there's, there's no doubt that it won't matter what committee you're in. Inflation is going to impact what you're doing, how you're trying to spend money, what you're trying to buy, who you're trying to hire, what we're trying to build. Any of those things are all going to be impacted by inflation. Um, as far as District 24, we kind of the capital campus is kind of our thing. It isn't kind of, it is our thing here around here. Um, already talking about a couple of couple of uh, buildings. Uh, Mike, you and I had chatted and, and Jim a little bit uh, off air. The Kinsman Building and uh, maybe not quite so well known, but the State Health Lab and wanting to get a new uh, version of that going. What are we hearing as far as getting bids and supplies and just trying to get moving on these these projects. There are, excuse me, there are three notable projects in the on the capital complex that inflation is definitely a conversation that's uh, causing some concern about how much money these projects are going to cost to bring uh, to completion. You mentioned the state health lab. So last year, we authorized nearly $70 million of federal funds to have an addition and upgrade to our state health lab, which is really important, not only state government, but to peer and uh, in our community. So now we see a bill that uh, needs additional, if my memory is right, $12.8 million that will not be federal funds. It'll be general funds to bring this uh building to uh, it really it's first steps i assume that the architect is already taking a look at specifications and and what cost estimates are and that's where this uh, bill is coming from the kinsman building you mentioned and i'll let uh, others mention about uh, capital lake and, and uh, some of the other challenges but uh, kinsman building is a building that exists on our campus it houses the bureau of administration uh, many of the things that they do, and that was going to get an, is going to get an addition to bring most of their services and their personnel under one roof, which is, would be great and really would help their efficiency. Well, once again, that uh, if I recall, seemingly the building was six million last year, and I think they're asking for another. Gosh, I think they're asking for. Uh, well, I don't know if it's fifty percent more or whatever, but the cost of the cost of materials, especially concrete, is really uh, expanded its cost, and and uh, so here we are. I think we should mention too. It, it's a bigger conversation, but I I think inflation is one of the reasons why 
the governor Noam suggests not having uh, tax on groceries because of the of the increased cost of of that uh, of, of food and uh, how, what that means to South Dakota families. I think that's you know one of the main drivers of that. But I'll I'll let the other guys talk about. Let's. Uh, Talking about uh, Capitol Lake, the memorials, the the visitor center there. Uh, I don't know if folks noticed uh, just ahead of the inauguration that first week of January, there's the big old barge out there and the cool little backhoe doing its dredging thing. Uh, that's part of the process. We're getting to kind of revamp, remodel that area. Is that what, Will? That's right. Uh, so they're... They are starting the dredging work on Capitol Lake, which I think anybody who's been around there lately can see. Uh, and that would be really step one of God, who knows how many steps. I mean, I, I know that they are still concerned about the water source that used to feed a flaming fountain. It hasn't consistently been on fire now since 2008. Um, and now they do know that below that fountain, they've got a pipe that's corroded through and has been leaking and there is a sinkhole risk. And that's what, you know, came from the engineers at the South Dakota school of mines that came in and studied it. And so, we know we've got a problem there that we've got to fix. It would be an absolutely untenable result uh, for anything bad to happen in those monuments or that area. And I think it's on the legislature's radar. And uh, we put $3.5 million toward it last year that was supposed to go to kind of fixing that. And it sounds like the dredging is taking up a big chunk of it alone. And so uh, we've got our work ahead of us to get what I would call the fundamentals and the foundational issues taken care of before we can start working on actual improvements. And I think the governor's got a really exciting vision for what that portion of the capital complex can look like and, and really make it um, as grand and accessible and, and impressive as the capital itself. And that's something that I can't wait to partner with her on. Um, but, you know, first things first, which is we got, we got to get that, um, eroded pipe situation taken care of under the flaming fountain. Um, but, you know, I, I haven't heard quite as much about um, the museum at the Cultural Heritage Center, which we got $18 million to do a full renovation of. I drove uh, by there with my family just this morning, and I don't see really any evidence of construction going on there. And so I guess I, I'll look forward to asking for an update. But, boy, this is statewide. I mean, we funded so many construction projects in the last couple of years, and Jody, I'm just here to tell you $20 million doesn't get you what it used to. Uh, and it's, I mean, some of these are kind of silly numbers when they talk about uh, the overruns and the, the secondary costs of these. So um, not every project that we funded is going to get additional dollars from the state for these overruns. Some are going to have to scale back or find the money somewhere else. Um, suddenly, and, suddenly that budget surplus isn't so big. Well, exactly. I mean, what, you know, we've known that these boom times are not going to last forever. And now we've got prison costs and those are not small things. I mean, the governor's talked about even in this year's budget, allocating nine figures in general funds. I mean, $112 million is what she proposed to spend between um, a second women's facility, that one going in rapid, and then a replacement of the men's facility. And they're not even talking about building the men's facility. She's asking for, uh, I think, $50 million to buy the land in or near Sioux Falls and to do the design build costs. And just, I mean, for zero walls and zero pipes and zero bars and whatever else goes into it, I mean, 
$50 million just to get started. And so a lot of these numbers um, seem to me like they're monopoly money or something. I mean, I have a hard time even getting a grasp on it. And that really scares me because for a long time, South Dakota operated where they were, um, you know, you were fighting tooth and nail to get an appropriation of $150,000. I mean, I remember that when I was working for Governor Dugard during the budget cut time. And um, we're just in a different world budget-wise right now. And uh, for my own part, I'm kind of looking forward to going back to normal. Now, that does mean there's going to be some economic contraction, but that's healthy. I mean, we can't keep growing and inflating like this. It's causing, it's wreaking havoc across our state budget. Jim, and I do want to just mention quick, uh, pretty, I think it's pretty impressive the the leadership amongst committees that you all have. Mike, you mentioned uh, chair of the Commerce and Energy, Will, chair of the uh, House State Affairs Committee, and of course, House Majority Leader, Jim, uh, vice chair of a couple committees, local government and retirement laws. Uh, I just think that just shows great initiative and great confidence um, that your fellow legislators have in all of you to come and and try and help, you know, lay out the best projects that we can for South Dakota. Local government, from our past dealings with you on the city commission, Jim, that just, I thought local government uh, seemed right up your alley. Is a little little different scale of things, though, for, for for this than you had city up here. What are, any ideas, some of the bills coming at you guys yet, or? Uh, we do have some bills coming up. Uh, there's not been a, uh, we've not had a, a meeting of the, of the uh, local government committee yet. No meeting of the minds just yet? No, I have seen some bills out there, okay. and in fact, I'm looking at some bills and have signed on to a couple of them that I think, and one of them, one of them uh, addresses the inflationary times that we live in, which is, would allow uh, government subdivisions a higher cap before they have to go out uh, for bid for certain items. It would raise it from twenty-five thousand to fifty thousand, and kind of the the purpose for that, or what spurred the interest in bringing that forward, is how difficult it is as. Uh, Representative Calise from Watertown has introduced that bill on behalf of uh, Watertown Municipal Utilities, which, of course, we have municipality uh, utilities in both Fort Pier and Pier. And I did talk to, uh, to Brad Palmer about it, and, and he confirmed that they are having a difficult time procuring things like transformers. When they go out to get them, they ask for a, uh, a bid package to be put together and there uh the the vendors uh, refuse to do it because they can sell them off the shelf and just getting them the supply chain issues uh getting them in stock and then having that uh, threshold set so low makes it very difficult for them to get them and i'm sure some of the vendors at at this point you know putting in a bid for a project this is what their costs are now you know, they're a little leery of what it's going to cost when they actually need to order and have this stuff showing up. I, I'd imagine that just creates even more puzzle pieces of confusion for everybody involved. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that things are tough all over. I'm, in the governor's uh, uh, budget address right at the beginning, she talked about, uh, I think it was $200 million additional for, for uh, building projects throughout the whole state. A board of regents that that they needed to add money to, and I think that's 
probably going to be a theme that carries on through this session and maybe next year as well. Again, uh, District 24 legislators, Representatives uh, Will Mortensen and Mike Wisecram and Senator Jim Melhoff in the studio here. And Mike, I want to go to Senate Bill 41, um, housing money. It was a summer study committee. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. It's finally here, I think. And we're going to get going on it, right? So we want to talk about it some more. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So where are we at? So... Yes, housing. We're looking at 150 million, or is it more? Well, it's 200 million. There you go. And uh, so it's been through several uh, versions, and it it did pass last year uh, by a two-thirds majority, just barely. But it 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 did pass the house that way, and it was due to a lot of efforts, and a lot of people really care about this, and and we thought we set a course for. South Dakota Housing Authority to uh, start having applications for that money and and proceeding. Unfortunately, there was some challenges to the wording of the bill and how it could be, how those monies could be moved forward in grants. and, And it was just best to come back with legislation that cleared up all those answers or questions. So... Fortunately, uh, already it's it's moving, and Senate Bill 41 did pass uh, committee and out of the Senate, and now it's coming to the House. And it's very important for all of South Dakota, especially I think Central South Dakota is going to benefit from the availability of these funds for housing infrastructure. It's not housing as in buildings, but infrastructure, and I think it's going to be extremely helpful to jumpstart some projects that that are very much needed. We always talk about workforce. We talk about workforce housing and affordable affordable projects. This would surely go a long way in, in answering those things. So it's going to be an interesting week in that regard. I'm very optimistic, but we will need to talk to our fellow House members to know how important it is for those that have not lived the ups and downs with that, with that legislation. And... Uh, you know, I'm impressed with the quality of our, our new people. I think uh, they're easy to talk to. Obviously, everybody's got an opinion one way or another, but it's going to be my goal this week to encourage as many people to vote for that as they can. When you say housing infrastructure, not housing the building, what sorts of things are we talking about? Are we talking about plumbing, you know, sewer lines and things like things like that, or what are we talking about? Well, exactly, plus the streets and street lights. That, that type of thing. So, okay, we just talked about inflation. It is so expensive to put infrastructure in the ground, and this program allows for grants and low-interest loans for a developer, and a developer may be the city. Uh, cities may want to, you know, jumpstart these things. So it is a mechanism to make these uh, infrastructure a little bit less costly so the projects can can move forward in a in hopefully an affordable way. You know, I've heard from those that don't aren't crazy about it that government intervention causes problems. Well, yes, but at some point we need to be the solution. We need to be a conduit for that. And we've talked and talked and talked. Now it's time for action, and it's uh, 
So we're going to move this thing to vote to a vote and hopefully a positive one. Well, obviously the uh, the governor she mentioned it during her re-election campaign. Um, it has come up the again the sales tax, the state's part of the sales tax on groceries that four and a half percent. I think there's a little confusion out there about total elimination. No, the cities get to do what the cities do. We're not this. This wouldn't be touching their side of it. It would just be the state sales tax on groceries, guys. Is that correct? Yeah, that's how I understand it. You know, they have not um, formally introduced that bill yet, but they are circulating it pretty broadly among the legislators. I don't. I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen a draft that's around, but yeah, I mean, basically, it moves the. Sales tax on not just groceries, all food that you're not buying at a restaurant, including a fast food restaurant. So it includes pop and candy and all that stuff. It's reducing the sales tax rate on that essentially from six and a half to two percent. But still in the works. Yeah. So um, one thing about it, uh, our appropriators are have a work group for all of the tax reduction proposals, and they're going to go through the tax uh, committee on our side. Other than the property tax committee was our, you know, already met, and that property tax proposal will just go to those appropriators in the work group. But they're going to look at who benefits, you know, along the income scale, and then also who benefits in terms of do the South Dakotans get this benefit or people who aren't from here. Uh, I think they're going to look at the best guess on estimates. I mean, right now the the governor I think included 102 million as her estimate of what this would be, you know, cost the the state general fund for lack of a better word. LRC is scoring a very similar proposal be on the ballot, and they said like 128 million. Now we can't afford to make a, you know, an eight-figure uh, mistake, right? And so those appropriators are going to look really hard on our best guess. One problem, and this is a little bit technical, but um, we we don't collect sales tax based on product. We collect it based on remitter, and everybody who is um, in the business world knows that, right? I mean, the business is the one paying sales tax, charging it, bringing it in. It's not like they're giving it to the state and saying, here's all the sales tax I collected on bananas, and here's on hammers, and here's on rope, right? It's just, here's all the sales tax we owe you. And so that's a number that I think they're going to dive into and and look at a few different ways of calculating, because it's terribly important that we get that right. Uh, the other, I would say, big proposals that seem to be out there are to about an $80 million cut for property taxes for homeowners, uh, and that's kind of a bottom-up tax. So it's not it's not that if your house is worth $2 million, you get a bigger tax cut than somebody who's worth $200,000. We're trying to give the tax cut across homeowners, um, you know, broadly, more broadly than that. And then the other one is uh, reducing the sales tax Gen, the sales tax, the state sales tax from four and a half to four percent. I think that's a hundred and eighty million dollar cost. And so, you know, you got to find eighty million dollars you don't like in the governor's proposed budget uh, to cut if you're gonna if you're gonna do that. And I think there's plenty of appetite for that. And my cog, I mean, I don't I don't know that it's um, the where they're all gonna head, but there's sure a lot of members that are open to that and feel like we got internet sales tax authority. Um, and and so because we're starting to collect a tax that was always um, applied, that, that it should be reduced. So anyway, th- those are kind of the three. There are some other uh, proposals out there that I would say maybe are more minor tax cuts in terms of their size. Uh, but those three are the ones we're going to be weighing through. And, and we don't adopt revenue estimates until late February. And so I've been telling everyone, including my caucus, that it's premature to make those decisions until that time. I mean... The tax cuts and spending 
are hand and glove. Those are not decisions you can make in isolation. Um, you know, the, the easy political answer is let's spend on all these really popular programs and cut all these nasty taxes, but that's not the adult way of doing it. And that's not the way we're going to do it. Just uh, before I let you guys go, uh, one thing from, uh, the ballots in November, the expansion of Medicaid, are you hearing how that may play in? What kind of a chunk of money are we looking at as far as the state budget that'll have to be? moved, reworked, shuffled around because that's not an option. That's voters said do it. So, now, so yeah. now it has to happen. Yeah. And we're going to, I mean, we're going to faithfully implement Medicaid expansion, but you know, the tough part about that is that, you know, that was passed largely, I think, because people were sympathetic to the additional spending, but where are those dollars going to come from? Well, you know, it means those are less dollars we're going to spend on nursing homes, which are funded through Medicaid, and less dollars we're going to spend on teacher pay, and less dollars we can spend on state employees. And so, again, it, just like on the tax cuts, these things aren't in isolation. And so this year, the governor proposed a, um, a $12 million ongoing cost, knowing that it's going to go up to $50 million in two years. And so I think the appropriators are really looking at do we start budgeting for 12 now when we know it's going to be 50 in two years? Or do we factor in that 50 a little sooner and and flip those dollars into being one time for a couple of years? I mean, I just, it's an unusual thing to have a known cost coming down the pike like this. Uh, but it's something that's really got our attention. And in another area where, honestly, some of it, we don't know how many people are going to qualify or how many are going to qualify two years from now. The federal government has not, let um, has, if you signed up for Medicaid at any point and then you became ineligible later, the federal government has not let states basically kick those folks off who are no longer eligible and everybody knows it. I mean, the, the federal government has had some bizarre and I would say distortionary policies um, with Medicaid and lately. And so when those stop and they're going to need to stop uh, at some point from the federal government's perspective, those dollars, you know, that might, we might be talking about eight-figure impacts on that side, too. So just add that to the ledger of stuff that keeps all of us up at night, I guess. That side of the ledger seems to be getting kind of long. Amen. <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> well, just uh, before I let you go, just some, some final thoughts, topics from what you're seeing, hearing, what, you're, uh, what your committees are talking about before I let you guys go. Uh, if I could just take a, mo- a minute to uh, talk more about the Medicaid expansion. Absolutely. Uh, I think... Uh, Representative Mortensen made a good point that when you're dealing with the federal government, there there really is you're knee deep in a in a pretty big rodeo, and you really don't know what will come of it. I remember when uh, Governor Dugard was trying to do it, he was working with the feds and making a deal with uh, how we cover IHS uh, funding for for members of the tribe. Who picks up the tab for that? Whether they go to a to a hospital in Rapid City off the reservation or get their services at an IHS clinic. And I don't know if the administration is working at all with the, with the federal government on that. It would be nice if they, if they would be, but we just don't know too many unknowns on that one. A lot of paperwork that needs to be followed through that, I think. So uh, for me, I have, uh, I get a lot of emails about the CO2 pipeline. And um, I suppose maybe that's because I'm on House Commerce, but uh, it's uh, so you open your email every day and there's a lot of comment about that. And so I've tried uh, as many, it has tried to get as, go to as much informational things, 
try to separate some of the claims and some of the maybe inconsistencies of those claims and really get down to it. So if, if you believe in ethanol, like most of Central South Dakotans do, um, there are some benefits to this pipeline. On the other hand, there are some really strong feelings about not allowing the uh, easements to go through. So there is a lot of ground to be covered on that. And I will say that I'm trying to be extremely attentive and get as knowledgeable as I can as those things, um, as probably the legislation towards eminent domain come down the pike. So that's definitely on my mind. It's uh, reinforced daily, seemingly. So I would say that's one thing that will, I don't know if it's going to keep me up, but it's it's definitely going to dominate my thoughts. It's kind of one of the newer topics that we're all trying to learn about as we're going, so... Will, just kind of some final final thoughts after the first week and, and heading as we keep going here. Personally, I've just never been busier in my life, I guess, is my uh, my initial thought and reflection. I, I literally, uh, this morning, put on my calendar, spend time with your family and leave your phone upstairs, uh, and which is kind of a jarring thing to actually see in your work calendar. Um, but, you know, one other topic I'd mentioned just for preview is that, uh, of course, in the last few years, there's been a lot of energy and attention paid to how our elections are administered. And I think South Dakota is kind of a model for the nation in terms of you got to have an ID to vote. And, um, you know, I think our county auditors um, are are sharp people and they're dedicated. And I haven't met a single one of them I wouldn't give my garage door code to. I mean, I just trust these people. Uh, And yet we don't rest on our laurels. We're going to keep looking at ways that we can strengthen this. And it's my priority uh, to be working with the auditors to do things with them to strengthen it and not things to them. I mean, if we have a good system now, our first goal should be not to wreck our good system. Now that is, you know, I think that means there are some ways we can make um, some of our processes tighter. I think we can actually make the auditor's jobs easier in some ways. Um, I've been an advocate, and this isn't the first time it's been brought, but, you know, 45 days is an awfully long time to have absentee voting and mail-in voting available. And I think 30 days is probably plenty sufficient to keep our keep it easy to vote, um, but to make our auditors' jobs a little bit easier and to maybe kind of be a nudge to have people return to voting on election day as had been the practice for a long, long time. So there's a number of, of, of uh, proposals out there, but just for my own part, uh, those are going to be things I like to do in consultation with the auditors. I think that's going to get us our best result. All right, that'll wrap up this South Dakota legislative overview with the District 24 legislators, Senator Jim Melhoff and Representatives Will Mortensen and Mike Wisegram. Again, if you'd like to reach out to any of them to provide input or any legislators in the South Dakota legislature, for that matter, their email address is their first name dot and their last name at sdlegislature.gov. Also, if you uh, missed part of today's conversation or just would like to hear it again, you can certainly do that. It's available on our website, drgnews.com. And as a podcast, KGFX Beyond the Mic podcast, look for the South Dakota Legislative Overview with the District 24 legislators. I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra.